which I guess I'll tell the time I checked in code that didn't compile. That that's probably a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's that is all. That's a classic. Everybody loves a good. Like, People can relate to that. When I failed story. Yeah. <laughs> You know what we love, Paul? What do we love? Potato chips. Veterans. Oh, we do love vets. Actually, uh, there's a great organization called Vets Who Code. We had the founder on the- Wonderful uh, organization. On the show once. Trains up veterans. There's other kinds of vets too. There are. And they know, they see it all. They've seen it all. Mm -hmm. The good and the bad. I always think of them as the kind of people who are sort of sitting on the dock of the house, their lake house, and then a helicopter comes down behind them. Oof. And we need you for one last job. <laughs> they get recruited one last That's time. Right. Or okay. they write a book. <laughs> or they write a book. We've got a veteran on the podcast today. A, a true software veteran. A veteran of Microsoft. His name is Adam Barr. Adam, welcome to Track Changes. Thank you. That was a, uh, a wonderful introduction. I was <laughs> on the edge of my seat trying to figure out where you were going with it, but... <laughs> It all makes sense. Now. We like to take the listener on a little journey. Tell us about your background. And I mean, obviously, if you pull your name up on LinkedIn, there's this huge entry in your experience. But tell us about yourself and, and sort of your backstory. So I, I did work at Microsoft for, for 23 plus years. I, I'm not an actual military veteran, to be to be clear, not, not to compare Microsoft to that. I worked at Microsoft for 23 years, and like a lot of the people I worked with, I started in 1990. I actually worked in two different segments. I taught myself to program in BASIC on an original IBM PC. I still have a DOS 1.0 floppy disk that I've saved for historical purposes. Everybody loves those. Those are very exciting. Well, at one point, even the Microsoft Museum only had a 1.1 DOS diskette to display, so I felt kind of kind of cool. Anyway, I taught myself to program. I went to college. I majored in, majored in computer science, but basically was using those skills that I had taught myself primarily when I was writing code in college because programs in college aren't that big. Then I went to Microsoft. I actually worked somewhere else for a while, but eventually wound up at Microsoft and kind of was using those same skills, the self-taught skills. Eventually figured out a bit about writing larger pieces of software. I worked on various projects. I worked on both Windows and Office at different times, so you can probably blame me for almost anything. I was a program manager for a while. I worked on PowerShell, the very early days of PowerShell, the uh, command line language that Microsoft has, which is very cool. And I was an instructor for a while inside Microsoft in a group called Engineering Excellence, which sadly was cut by Satya Nadella, actually, who I know is a hero to many, but he didn't cut me personally. I, I left the group by then, but he did uh, kill the engineering excellence group, unfortunately, which I thought was very valuable for doing internal training in, and consulting inside Microsoft. And I left a couple of years ago to write my book, The Problem with Software. The Problem with Software. I mean, you just went right for it with the title. I mean, Adam, what is the problem with software? Wait, wait, before we get to that, give me something. I mean, right now there's like a glow around Satya Nadella. Like he sort of can't do wrong. Give me, give me, give me the dark side here. Give me something. I mean, everybody's got their flaws. I don't think there's a dark side particular. I think that he's obviously Satya's not single-handedly writing all the code. If you're familiar with Bill James, the the baseball writer who yeah. was behind a lot of the ideas that led to Moneyball and all that, mm -hmm. he had a theory that it's good to alternate between a baseball manager who yells at everybody the second they make a mistake, and then the more relaxed kind of manager because the First kind gets everyone really disciplined, but they get tired of being yelled at. 
The second person comes in. He's everybody's friend. They feel much better, but they still have the discipline from the other guy. But eventually they start to slack off and they kind of need the disciplinarian to oh, come boy. back in. Okay. But then they still have the, the memory of the, of the nice manager for a while. And so they're okay with the disciplinarian until that gets old. Anyway, the point of all this is I think Steve Ballmer was kind of the yell at everybody person. But he did instill some discipline in Microsoft about, hey, we have to do things well or Steve's going to yell at us. And Satya's more the mellow, friendly type. And so he's benefiting a bit from the remaining discipline that was instilled by Steve. Got it. If you take this analogy further, Microsoft will get a little sloppy at some point in the future, although <laughs> I'm not <laughs> promising that. And, and we'll need to bring in discipline. somebody a little yeah. harsher. James' point was it, he wasn't saying one type was better than the other. He said it's good to alternate between the two. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, see, we um, were we jumped the gun and just got both at once when I we know. started postlight. <laughs> we, we 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 did it dual track. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking about the level of monstrosity that will be need to be exerted when Nadella is done. Like 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 to reestablish. Yeah, I mean, Balmer was one of the great yellers of the like the 21st century, almost to a comedic level, yeah, right? He's famous for it. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and Nadella like does poetry, right? A lot of Zen. Right, just thinks deep thoughts. The absolute monstrosity that will have to come in the Jack Welch level turnaround nightmare in about 11 years. <laughs> it's very hard. Everybody eventually wears out their welcome and you need something different to to get people to go again. So, I mean, obviously Satya's done a lot of good things. He's clearly very cloud focused. That was his background. So tell us about this book. It's a dark title. 20, 23 years in. 23 years in, and you came out and did you have this? I, I'm going to guess this was swirling in your head while you were at Microsoft. Well, and also, I'm let's be clear. The, the title of the book is not My Great Life in Software. No. It's not software, the thing that will deliver us all to a better world. No. It's the problem with software. So the, the idea was swirling around in my head, especially when I was in this engineering excellence group inside Microsoft. So Microsoft does not have a single way to engineer software. And you typically only see the methodology of the group you're actually in. But in engineering excellence, we went around to all these groups. And I realized that although people at Microsoft have generally figured it out, there's a lot of variability in how people do things. Some is better, some is worse. And then you get out in the broader world beyond Microsoft, and there's even much broader variation, people not really realizing how to produce reliable software in large-sized teams. So the problem with software, what the book is about, and I guess the title's a little dark. I just like the title, and I always was planning to use it for the book. I, I never really thought about it much. The problem is that what you learn in school, if you, you go to college, you major in computer science or software engineering, what you learned about is working on small pieces of software with one or two or three or four people. And in those environments, almost any language works, almost any methodology works. You probably throw away the code once you get your grade, but when you get to a large company, you're trying to write something that lasts for a long time. People are paying money for the team working on it now is not the original authors. A lot of this stuff matters much more. What language you use, how you maintain it, how you document it, all those things. And so that's really the problem. Everybody comes out of college thinking they're a great programmer. Maybe eventually they realize they're not and they could actually learn something. But in that interim time, there's a lot of bad software written. In our experience, many don't stop thinking they're great programmers many years after college, but we won't get into that. Tell me, I mean, you're hopping around seeing different software groups, obviously dealing with different problems, approaching things differently. What's the thing you saw again and again? Like, I, like this is clearly a pattern. 
one thing I, I saw a lot actually was that people were chasing the the cool shiny way to develop software. And that was Agile Scrum in particular. This is in the late 2000s, about 10 years ago. And even if somebody inside Microsoft would come and say, you know, Scrum is really for small teams and you have a large team like us in Engineering Excellence, for example, might come by and say that. Uh, they would say, oh, no, I, I went to this conference and, and somebody in my team is a certified <laughs> Scrum master and it, it's going to solve all these problems even for this team with hundreds of people. And so I think what I saw a lot of was just people wanted some easy answer to producing software in a large team. And there was no easy answer, but they were interested in chasing the easy answer because that would make their lives easier. So we almost spent as much time explaining to people why what they were doing wouldn't work, despite that conference they attended last month, as telling them what they should do. This is not a knock on Scrum. Not specifically. Scrum is very useful in certain situations, but it was presented a little more broadly than that. And, and Microsoft people were as eager as anybody else to, to be convinced. Well, the latest thing is something we deal with, right? I think everybody does. I mean, a smart, curious, I think people want to know they're growing professionally. And we deal with that in terms of technology choices. A lot of times, like, why did you do all that heavy lifting, why would you want to do all that heavy lifting for something as basic as a, that, you know, WordPress will solve? Or you did use WordPress, but why is it so complicated? And why is it so convoluted? Well, WordPress isn't cool. Is that what it is? Is it cool? Or is it just feeling like you're growing professionally and then you're learning the latest thing? It's a lot of those things. I think it's also developer mindset, but also just product mindset and just tech mindset is let's solve that problem that's going to come down the road. You know, it's this today is a little bit boring. Like the next five years are really interesting. Solving the problem for today is like, eh, I can set up WordPress and make this work and integrate it with Salesforce. But do I feel really like I've thought about the year 2025? Right. Right. The other point I make is it's, it's hilarious to hear it, but I feel like for 20 years now I've been saying the words, yeah, you know, I, I, Scrum's okay, and I don't want to say anything bad about it. Yeah, because someone will rip my face off. Right, but it, it's yeah, these orthodoxies really get into our world, especially the less technical people. Yeah, because like, everyone, are just, you going to do it? Are you going to do this? Like, we're an agency, and a lot of times we're talking to the business stakeholder, and they're like, are, "Do you use Scrum?" They just want to hear. They want to check that box. It's, so badly. it's the same as them saying like. Do you host things on web servers? It's like, you know, just let me just make sure you're not crazy and that you're going to do this the right way. And I can go back and tell people, oh, they're a scrum shop. Um, What else? Tell us uh, what else, you know, I guess what's what other ideas sort of poured into this book? Well, the idea that people were self-taught and therefore they needed to be humbled a bit. That's important because, as I said, you can a lot of people have especially a lot of people managing teams right now who are around my age have this success with their self-taught skills and so they think they're good but the other thing the book is arranged somewhat historically and it's showing how there were various methodologies or solutions offered that were going to make software easy starting back with structured programming way back in the late 60s and 70s just the idea of having if blocks and structured loops and all that through object-oriented programming unit testing tdd all that stuff and then agile and now you've got DevOps and and Kanban and functional programming, et cetera, et cetera. There was really a history of something that is useful being invented. 
people hoping this is the magic solution, jumping on it, the thing getting hyped way beyond what it deserves without any real academic backing because academia is not thinking about that kind of stuff. And then inevitably crashing. So maybe Scrum is out of favor now because it didn't solve all the problems. But it, it was overhyped then and maybe it's being underhyped now. And DevOps and whatever will probably go through a similar a similar cycle. I think it's because until you really start to get good experimental evidence, some empirical studies showing that these things actually work and not just in small academic settings, but on large software projects, you can always claim fantastic results and people will will be very interested because software is complicated and they're trying to simplify it. So so I, there is none. I mean, there is, I mean, over the years, I mean, the new thing has come, has shown up every five years. Well, let me, let me ask Adam a question. What's the, what are the things that have blown your mind? Like, what are the actual surprises over those 23 years where you went, never expected this to change the industry the way it has? Of these trends. Of these mean? trends, yeah. Yeah, like which one really did pull it off or none? Yeah, I don't think anything has, has really pulled it off. Software is still very complicated. I think what blew my mind actually is to go back and I started reading historical software development guidance and to realize that in the 1960s, people were writing about the same problems. How do I manage a large team that's stitching a piece of software together from different components that has to last for years when the original authors have gone, et cetera, et cetera. And they actually started down the path of studying it in the 70s where academics would do studies on how programmers actually worked. And there were studies on, on whether GoTo was good or bad and variable names and commenting and all this stuff. And then it essentially got swept aside by the personal computer because back in the 70s, you needed to be at a large company or at a university to get access to a computer. And so you were at least around other people who had some experience. But then everyone could get a PC. They could teach themselves out of the IBM PC basic manual like I did, and they're off to the races. And then they never really had this exposure to large software until they maybe had been in a company for a while. And so they never realized that they had, they had some gaps in their knowledge. So it's really that researchers in the 70s you know, sort of forgot more about developing software than, than a lot of people ever learned. I mean, Microsoft was trying to, Microsoft, well, first they had the idea of having testers. That was sort of a, a breakthrough idea at Microsoft in 1984 or something. Uh, of course, IBM had gone through all this 20 years before. And then they then they said, oh, you can just test the software in and all the bugs are the tester's fault. And IBM had also gone through that same incorrect path. And eventually IBM got to realizing you had to design quality in and Microsoft eventually got there. But this was after many, many bugs and many unhappy testers getting yelled at by uh, obnoxious developers. So it was a fairly expensive learning for the industry that was really repeated in a lot of other companies too. When if you just gone and studied history, you would have realized all this because people were writing books about it. Fred Brooks and Harlan Mills and people were writing books about this in the 60s. And the problems they were tackling are the same ones people face today. I mean, there is a lot of, first of all, it's, I think the, the fact that you can pull something off on your computer, on your laptop today without talking to anybody and make it run and it could be kind of slick and you could put it out in the world. I mean, look, it, it breeds a, a certain level of arrogance. I think that's a real thing that's out there that you kind of have to swim against. Trying to convince a software engineer today that the new thing isn't necessary or is actually gratuitous is really hard. It's really hard to do. They, it's almost an, it's almost a, it lands offensive. It doesn't you're, even. You're going against marketing. You're going against community. 
you're going against community. I think that's a big part of it. I think the way these trends sort of catch fire within these communities is really hard to pull off. And you're trying to be like, you know, a pragmatic business person and say, well, let's pause here and think about things. It's very hard to penetrate. I mean, I, I don't bother. Well, and let's be clear, our stack, the tools that we use here are five years ahead of where most of our clients are, like our, mm-hmm. our big legacy mm-hmm. organizations. They they are just getting around to adopting a lot of the stuff we use. And we sit here and people are like, what are we doing? Still writing JavaScript. <laughs> what, are we animals? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and I think the only reason business does it is like, oh, my God, everyone's moving this way. If I don't move this way, I'm I'm dead. Well, this is, a, I mean, we're talking to Adam, not with each other, but yeah. this is, a, it, it becomes really hard to hire too. Yeah. Right. There's all these other external pressures where you go, okay, nobody wants to rewrite the whole freaking thing, but you have to because no one is around to support the old version and everybody tells you you have to do the new way. Yeah. Program manager uh, is in front of you. I mean, what's helped them through this, right? This is, I mean, I, not a lot has changed. I mean, what you're describing terms of the arrogance and sort of making the same mistakes in the 80s as the 70s and the 60s, I think we're, we'll con- continue to make the same it's mistakes. It's not just engineers, it's humans. It just so it's happens humans. this industry is the one that exploded. Yeah. yeah. As you said, if you're using this JavaScript package and somebody says, oh no, that's six months old, you should use this other JavaScript package because it's better in some way, uh, be a little skeptical of that. I mean, yes, there may be some benefit, but uh, programmers just are not really good at actually thinking about, okay, these are the things that matter to me and I, therefore I should choose my tools or my language or whatever based on these criteria. It's more, oh, hey, that sounds neat or, or often just I used that in the last project and it was okay, so I guess I'll keep doing it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, they're in, in more established industries, as you said, it's all happened so fast. And so, I mean, in one generation almost, it, it's had these massive changes, but then Old school people are still around. There's still people who think that C is a great programming language, that sort of thing. So, so they're out there causing trouble. And then <laughs> you've got the people moving super fast. And more established industries, I think, just move a little slower and have a bit more of a burden of proof to show that this new thing is actually useful. And as I said earlier, there's probably some study about it, not just, oh, wow, I, I like the way they case their variable names or something. I think I'll switch. It's, I mean, your book's titled The Problem with Software. Uh, it's called The Problem with Software. But it really, this is, I mean, all we've been talking about so far on this podcast is people. I mean, it sounds like The Problem with People is the second edition of this book. There you go. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Um, I'll think of that. <laughs> the, real problem, the real problem is people. Yes, I, I, I guess I could summarize most things as, as the problem is other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the users, they're they're bad too. Yeah, users always finding bugs. No, no, yes, a lot of it is is personal interactions, and, and a lot of the a lot of the writing a way to solve this stuff is is more about communication and realizing how people work together, and and not just about the latest technology. What one big realization Microsoft and other companies eventually got to is that the person in the corner who's cranking out code who used to be revered at Microsoft, certainly. You know, if you never left your office, you must be a genius. And, and now it's realized that blasting out a bunch of code that only you understand without talking to anybody else, first of all, probably might not be meeting the customer's need because you're not the customer. And second of all, is going to be a nightmare to maintain when you stop working on a project or get bored and move on to something else. So that's been a big change, recognizing that a lot of the issues especially around maintenance and readability and all that. Yes, it's about other people interacting with your code, not about your code as a standalone object. 
are we gonna are we doomed to repeat the cycle or can we can we break repeating out? it i think it's can we break out and and make better software better humans better humans better users i think you know i mean maybe there's you know the th- the fantasy is always like no there's some ide you can use there's some framework but that's not going to fix it so i mean adam what do we do what do we do as an industry i'm asking you well, it's interesting because, of course, you had you had a situation where you needed to work at a company to have a computer in the 1970s. Everyone got a PC and then they, they could develop on their own. But then it sort of tended, OK, now everything's going to the cloud and you you sort of need some cloud infrastructure or some way to distribute your software. And that's expensive. But but wait a minute. Now you can so easily get on the AWS free tier and and put up a website all by yourself from your bedroom. So maybe there will be a whole bunch of a, another generation where. It's so easy to do stuff that people, again, don't realize what others have learned before. In this case, it'd be more about how to host something and how to secure it and that sort of thing. Because anyone can put up a website and you don't know what they're doing with their data and what they're doing with privacy and all that if they're going to have a data breach. So there may be some cycle. I'm hoping at least wisdom is gradually seeping in. I think things are getting better. People are realizing that software is not just pure goodness. It, it sure is super useful, but but there's some negatives too. There's some risks involved and and you have to be careful in certain ways. So I think overall we are getting smarter, but there will still be a lot of mistakes made. There will still be a lot of data leaked out where it's not supposed to. Yeah. You know, it's tricky here though. You got three people who are kind of mid-career and the engineers coming in are like 22 years old. Did you, I never listened to anything anyone ever said when I was 22. Yeah, I certainly... Probably didn't either. Yes, you're 22. But but if you're a 22-year-old doctor, aspiring doctor or or lawyer or civil engineer, you, you do have some sense that at a professional level anyway, you should listen to the, your your the, those who came before you and, and you should actually study. In fact, you have to. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's a, there's a very actually narrow track they as a lawyer or they a doctor. They you avoid it. Or certain engineering, right? Like certifications of You can't build types. a bridge just because you like bridges. No, no. I think that's what's unusual about this particular, about software engineering, is that you could just go. I mean, I think that's awesome in a way because some of the most interesting things ever you know, created in software happened because someone was curious. But I think you're right. I think we're, we're starting to butt up against, okay, do we put some guardrails around this? Like, is this is getting a little banana, especially now we're seeing what, what you do when you really let this stuff loose. Well, this is what's tricky. And the kind of damage it can cause. It's like, you can't really have an amateur doctor. That's a bad scene. But you can have an amateur or early stage programmer who does lots of really interesting, fun work or can add lots of value. But then there's the stuff that shows up around security or Long, privacy. Yeah, or just long-term roadmaps for very expensive, very large products. Maintainability, yeah, all yeah. that. And so the, the professionalism becomes more and more of a requirement. Yeah. Right. There, I mean, there used to be, two or three hundred years ago, there were amateur doctors in the U.S., and that's all there were. And maybe they apprenticed with somebody, but but basically they were they had no real, there wasn't medical school, and that's sort of where we are with software. And, I mean, it, it's hard to hire people because getting a CS degree doesn't, mean the same thing as having a civil engineering degree or a medical degree so people resort to all kinds of crazy questions but ideally you'd get to where yes having a cs degree meant you were understood to have this certain set of skills and knowledge and you wouldn't have to worry about uh interviewing essentially starting from scratch when you interview microsoft would occasionally hire 
a music major as a software developer. I mean, a music major who had dabbled in software, of course, on their own. And they'd say, wow, this is great. Look, we found this person. Everybody else ignored them. They wouldn't talk to them because they're a music major. And we, we found this diamond in the rough, which is great, I guess. But it's also really weird if you think about it. Yeah. We're, we're almost out of time, Adam, but I do want you to, I want to give you two minutes to give us one really good Microsoft war story. So I, I could tell I worked under Dave Cutler, uh, the, the head of Windows NT for, for years. Uh, and at one point there was a problem with the, the build not even compiling, the, the Windows build wouldn't even compile. And the Windows build took hours and hours to produce, even on a fast machine for the day. So, so Dave Cutler decided what the solution was, he would sit in the build lab and personally approve all check-ins. And so at one point there was a bug in the build, something not, not a build break, but something was not working. And I realized the problem was I wasn't initializing a variable to zero. So it was getting a random value and something was breaking. So I told Dave, oh, this is an easy fix. I'll just go back to my office and check it in. He's sitting in the build lab. So I go to my office, I check out the file, I add equals zero semicolon to the variable declaration and check it back in. I go back to Dave in the lab and Dave goes, okay, and he syncs it and builds it. And it doesn't compile because it's a large integer and which is a structure in C. And so you have to say equals curly brace zero comma zero close curly brace to initialize it. And Dave kind of looks at me like, did you compile this before you checked it in? I mean, of course I said no, because obviously I hadn't. And he starts tight. He, so he fixes on a machine, which is very generous of him not making me go back to my office one more time. And he fixes on a machine. And then when you check it in, you have to type a check in comment and he starts typing fix Adam's F-U-C-K. And then he backs up and just writes, fix build break, and then submits it. A little moment of grace. <laughs> I at mean, the end. a little humility there. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's oh, just it's see, so th- many of those. I thought there were just going to be blood on the walls at the end of this no. story. That wasn't too bad, that was actually. Good. That see, was the day that people are kind. But for a minute, there was no Windows NT. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dave really, I mean, I have to say, uh, if somebody's asked about this, was he really super grumpy? I he actually really wasn't super grumpy once he got to know him and if he if he trusted you. And I've been working on the project for a couple of years. But but yes, he certainly uh, could be a bit prickly if you made a stupid mistake. Just a couple of years. Just a couple of years to get, <laughs> get someone to just relax a little and enjoy your company. All right. So people should go on the Internet or maybe even uh, to the bookstore. To the bookstore and buy. The Problem with Software by Adam Barr from MIT Press. I think that's the only thing they should do. Well, they could also follow me on Twitter at Adam David Barr. I, I'm trying to build up my followers. I, I, you're out of the phase where you get a free toaster if you follow me, but not by much. So you can uh, hear my wit and wisdom, as it were, on Twitter. But yes, buy the book. I mean, as you said, what, what's the solution? Obviously, if all, if all 10 million programmers or whatever it is in the U.S. bought my book, it would solve... Well, it solved my problems, uh, but it might make software better too. So, congratulations on the book, and uh, yeah, we're gonna get a copy for the library postlight. Thanks again, Adam. Thank, Thank you very much for having me. Take care. I love the old war stories, Paul. Oh my God! I mean, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but you know that's the real shit. Uh, was when you stuff. get into the real compiling stuff. Windows NT is the real deal. Imagine, it must have taken a day and a half. It did, I think. I think it took forever. Yeah. I mean, you just yeah. and you got a very like a crabby 
like a like someone sitting under the bridge going, yeah. "You shall yeah. not pass." Well, NT is a landmark in software. Yeah, they really did. They, they uh, suddenly that's the base for all the Windows that came after. After, yeah. correct. Anyway, so, a lot of fun. Yeah, that that's someone who bore witness to history. Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, Rich. You know where there isn't problems in software? Postlight. Inside the walls of Postlight. That's Paul. right. One hundred one Fifth Avenue. Yes. You know what uh, people should do? They should come by the office May twenty first. May 21st, we're having a really fun event. It's uh, Postlight Labs is going to release a flurry of little experiments. We're working on the deck right now. There's so many slides for so many things. But don't worry, we're not only going to talk for a few minutes. It's we're just only going to talk lot. for a few minutes, but it's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Some for engineers, some for just people who want cool tools. And food uh, and drink. Stuff. And so can... come to the event. It's on May 21st, and we'll be launching everything that night. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool stuff. Postlight. Postlight stuff, Salesforce stuff. Airtable stuff, Slack stuff. Weird little experiments. Weird One little like experiments. micro app that could change your life. Forever. It's true. So yes. you should come check us out. Uh, go to postlight.com slash events. Yes. And you will get all the info. It's in the evening, early evening, right after work. And if we can help you with uh, our amazing software and design skills, uh, let us know. Hello, Hello at postlight. postlight.com. That's all you need to do. And you know what? We haven't asked for it for a while. If you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead and give us a good rating on iTunes. It's a gift. It helps us in the rankings. Goodbye. Bye-bye.